Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for clicking on episode 15 of Disability After Dark. I'm really excited that you're back here. Today is going to be an awesome show. I have somebody on that I'm really, really excited to talk to you about. One of my most favorite aspects about doing this work is when you meet somebody who you've followed doing this work around sexuality and disability, and you've read their stuff, and you've admired them from afar, and you've read their stuff and been like, holy fuck, they get me, this is great, and then... As luck would have it, you end up becoming their friend and, and you start a whole different relationship with them that is based in friendship and knowledge and sharing of information and sharing of experiences and laughing about those experiences together. And that's what happened with my guest today. I am so excited to introduce Kaylee Trace, sex educator out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, who lives with a disability and she's somebody that I just can't, can't I can't speak any more highly of because if I did there would be no words. I am excited to tell you all about her right now. Kaylee Trace's bio, which I'll read from her website, kayleetrace.com, says, With words, Kaylee writes and talks about shameless sex of all kinds, for all kinds. She is the author of Hot, Wet, and Shaking, How I Learned to Talk About Sex, which won the Evelyn Richardson Nonfiction Award in 2015. Her written work can also be found in Shameless Magazine, No More Podlucks, Guts Magazine, or at her old blog, TheFuckingFacts.com. Kaylee teaches sex ed workshops. She's presented at the Gweld Sexuality Conference, the Biennial Western Canadian Conference on Sexual Health, and the Playground Conference. As a presenter, Kaylee is most interested in leading workshops that explore disability, desirability, resistance, and sex toys, not necessarily in that order. As a queer, disabled, white femme, Kelly thinks about the intersections of gender, sexuality, race, ability, and class, and how these influence our lived realities and our personal style. She likes talking about haircuts, feelings, and everything that falls in between. This interview with Kelly was one of my favorite to do so far on the podcast. It was so easy and so fun and so relaxed. We talk a little bit about everything. We talk about sex and disability. We talk about embarrassing moments around sex and disability, we talk about access, we talk about doing the work of sex and disability and what that feels like. We have a really nice chat and it's really, really empowering to know that there are people like Kaylee out there putting out work. And we also talk about something that I like in the in the interview that we talk about, you'll hear us talk about at the end, is how things have changed for her and how she went from wanting to be a really loud voice to wanting to simply be a voice within her own community. And I think there's something 
special about the way she talks about that. So, I don't want to blather on anymore, but I'd like to introduce you now to my interview with sex educator and author, Kaylee Trace, right here on Disability After Dark. Kaylee Trace, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. I love talking to you always, and it's so nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. I also always love talking to you, so we're well suited for each other. <laughs> right? Totally. So I know all about your work, and I did a little pre-bio before we started talking now. The audience already heard it, but can you kind of tell us about the work you do? Sure. I do. I guess I have two jobs. On the one hand, I work in a sex shop, um, an education-based, pretty feministy sex shop called Venus Envy in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, and my job there is to be the education coordinator. So I teach all kinds of workshops on all kinds of things. Um, some of which are disability focused, like sex and disability and adapting sex toys. And some of them are, I mean, anybody could give a blow job, you know? And so I guess that's kind of a broad thing I talk about. Um, and then the other job that I do is writing. So I write, uh, I don't write as much as I used to. I used to run a blog called The Fucking Facts, which was about sex and sexuality and had a pretty heavy disability focus. And that blog turned into a book called Hot, Wet, and Shaking, How I Learned to Talk About Sex, which came out in 2015. 14? Uh, 14. 2014, thanks. You know. You know me better than I know me. Yeah, it came out in 2014 and... Uh, and I haven't written a book since that one. So one book under the table so far. I, I, I got to say, I love that book. I, that Thank book you. is one of my favorites in disability because it's so rare to find an author who talks about disability so frankly. And when, when I think when, we, when many of us picked up your book, we all went, oh, wow, she's telling it like it is, like so direct. There's a story in there about you dropping a dildo either dropping it or you've tied it to the supermarket. It's not, and <laughs> that story is literally my favorite story in the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't drop it. I just pulled it out of my bag uh, un- unwill- unwittingly, um, which I guess I would have done if I was able-bodied as well. But <laughs> being disabled still really shapes shapes the whole book and kind of all of those experiences and kind of explain and I know your disability because we are friends off of the air um but explain to the audience kind of your level of disability and kind of how that informs your work and your life and your sex totally so I have a spinal cord injury um from 1995 and 1995 I was nine so I became disabled when I was nine Um, and at that time I was in a wheelchair for a lot of my, for some of my childhood. And now I walk with a notable limp and I use a cane. Um, so my, my spinal cord injury affects everything below my belly button. And then the upper half of my body is unaffected by my injury. Um, a lot of people, I think, differentiate between acquired disability and those disabilities we're born with. And I never really know where I fit because I've had mine for so long now that I, don't really remember life without it, but I, it's true that I was not born with a disability. Um, yeah, I think that like having this particular disability, it, I mean, all of our disabilities is, are so different, but I often recognize that in so many places I can pass as non-disabled, especially if I'm sitting down. As soon as I walk, you can tell, but um, I definitely pass as non-disabled in some spaces and it kind of uh, have the associated privileges with that. Um, 
meaning that I can like access inaccessible spaces and and that kind of thing. So that that shapes how I live with being disabled. How did um, it feel? I'm just listening to you talk, and I immediately was like, oh yeah, I wanted to bring up passing for a long time in a, in a, in a in a podcast, but I wasn't sure how to do it. And so you just opened the door for me to ask. So some days, as somebody who's a wheelchair user, a heavy wheelchair user, and every day, all the time wheelchair user, I'd love to be able to pass and be able to like access those inaccessible spaces and be like, haha, I'm not disabled today, funny, like I can't, I'm, I'm totally good. Look at yeah. Me. So like, how does it feel to like, to knowing what you know about your body and how disability affects you, for that brief flash of like, oh, no one knows. No one is reading me as disabled. Is there a moment of like, this feels really good? Oh, that's such a complex and interesting question. I mean, privilege feels good, right? Like, yeah. Like, you might feel guilty for embodying a certain type of privilege, but you're still reaping so many benefits of it, you know? Yeah. And so it's not like it ever feels bad. Um, when I get the benefit of passing, um, and I'm, I'm really aware of it and I feel, you know, I feel grateful that I can pass sometimes. Um, but I also just feel so strongly, like I so strongly identify as being disabled that I don't, at this point in my life, I'm really happy and comfortable with being disabled and I don't strive to pass the way that I used to. Like when I was young, it was something I aimed for and now it's something that I actively work against. Like I'd rather out myself as disabled and talk about the politics of that and what that means yeah. than kind of move through the world hiding it, you know? Yeah, and it takes a lot for us. And I, I'm the same way. Like I'm very, very proud of my disability and it's, it's created a job for me. It's created work. It's created friendships. It's, it's how we met. So Really, yeah. I mean, it's created so many great things for me. Um, but I do, there are some moments when I was younger, like I just I just recorded a podcast today where I talk about my teenage years. And there's a point in the podcast where I talk about how, you know, sometimes I wish that I wasn't disabled when I was like 14, 15, 16, okay. trying to figure out how to navigate all that stuff. Um, what was your experience like? Because you said you had your injury at nine. So you mm -hmm. got to go through your awkward, tumultuous teenage years dealing with disability um, and I've seen your gait and for, you know, for, for somebody who's well-versed in disability, it doesn't phase me, but I can imagine being 13, 14, 15, 16, trying to do all these things that, you know, trying to be cool and trying to look attractive. And so how did that affect you as a younger person? Oh man. I mean, I think, and I think this is true for a lot of teens and young folks, like you maintain a certain type of delusion about yourself. Like I was just convinced that I was passing, even though I definitely, I don't pass. As soon as you see me walk, you know I'm disabled. I look different. Like there's no hiding that. But I didn't use canes. Um, I hid, I didn't tell people I was disabled. Like I just pretended that nobody would notice. Because um, being a teen is awkward for all of us, and I think it just is doubly awkward if you're denying a really crucial part of your identity. <laughs> yeah, and it's pain, like so painfully awkward. And like you and I both, we, there's no way we could hide it. But we, but I remember trying damn hard to, to hide it. And totally. So hard to be like, yeah, I'm in a chair, but you can't see it, right? It's, you're good. Yeah, I'm normal. I'm normal. I'm normal. And really, you know that narrative of normalcy. It's funny how even though we're grown now it's still 
something that even though I'm totally comfortable with disability and talking about it and it's my life, there are moments where that desire to be normal, especially in the bedroom, kind of like, whoa, yep, there it is. I wish that I could be like this. Totally. I find it's easier to um, feel comfortable with our bodies in a general way, but then when it comes to the most intimate places, like when we're naked with other people, all of those insecurities are just still can so be at the surface. It takes so much work to be like, no, I'm really, I'm really comfortable. You know, I don't know if anybody ever achieves that kind of comfort with their body, regardless of ability. Yeah. I mean, I think with disability, the comfort in the body is amplified. It's always, always there, whether you're disabled or not. But um, when you have a disability, it's amplified because there's, as you say in your book, there's no handbook for us. Like when you were doing research, that that scene of you in the book, for anybody who hasn't read it, go on Amazon.com right now and get it because it's <laughs> so good. Slash, I will send you all the links because it's, <laughs> it's everybody needs to buy it. But there's a point in the book where you talk about how you went to the library and you leafed through like these a ton of these books looking for answers. And you went to your sex shop and you pulled books off the shelf and read them for hours trying to figure out how do I make myself come? How do I, how? And I, I, it's, it's painful to think that we only have one or two books on the subject. Um, the Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability is one of the best out there. But even that now is coming slightly outdated. Like, like there needs to be more resources. And, and what I love about your book is that it's not only a, it's not a how-to, it's an emotional roadmap of like, okay, if, if you're in this body and you're trying to figure this out, here's what I went through, let me share that with you. And so why I love it so much and why I will sing its praises forever and ever is because it just tells tells it honestly. And we don't often see that in literature. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I think the reality is that there's there's very rarely clear answers. And I think that clear answers or advice become even more muddied when we're trying to talk about disability because disability is such a broad spectrum and how we experience our bodies are so diverse. Um, and I still find that hard. Like as a sex educator who does work around sex and disability, I, I really love talking about sex and disability. It's my passion. It's something that I enjoy. Um, and I can certainly speak to like being somebody with a vulva and somebody with a spinal cord injury, but that's so specific, you know? Um, and I, I just wish that there was more, I mean, I, I like that you're talking about this too. Like the more people who talk about our experiences and our bodies, the more potential resources we can have. So we're not just like looking through the library for books that don't actually apply to our bodies at all. Yeah. And you're trying to piece together things that aren't really you. And like the, my, the trouble with the literature that's even out there, again, I love the ultimate guide to sex and disability. I think it was an amazing first step is that people now love that as the only book Totally. The best one. And I keep saying, listen, there are a ton of other authors out there who are writing stuff who you could put in a book that would tell you their lived experience over and above the how-to section. Mm-hmm. I think where you learn the most from these authors and from stuff you've written and people like Carrie Wade and those all the mm-hmm. authors is the, is the emotional response to trying to figure out your body and realizing that some days it sucks. Totally. I feel like the best guidebook to having sex as a disabled person that I've read was Exile and Pride by Eli Clare, which doesn't talk about having sex at all, but is about like loving your, not loving yourself in a like 
necessarily self-help way, but it's about the like radical possibilities of what it means to be disabled. And reading that made me made me love myself more and subsequently be more comfortable engaging in sex because I I didn't have so much that I was hiding, you know? Yeah, I haven't read the book, but everybody and their best friends have been like, Andrew, pick it up. So that's it's on my list. It's a good recommendation. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Well, I mean, maybe not my favorite because there's a lot of great disability books out there, but it's one that I really love. Yeah, I know. I hear it. I hear it's really good. Mm-hmm. My 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 favorite. Well, right now it's yours. <laughs> I gotta, For I the gotta, sake of this podcast, <laughs> it has to be mine. <laughs> I, no, I gotta say though, I, I read it because I knew we were doing this interview soon, and I read it recently, and I just was like, it's, it's so strong. So you said earlier that you haven't written in a while, and I know, I know you've been busy with life and things, and but I. I'm asking you as a disabled person who loves yourself, please write again. Oh, thank you. Thanks. That means a lot. I do want to write again. I think what has happened is that it's really nerve wracking and scary to write about yourself. And that book is, is about myself as a disabled person, which felt like an important thing to do. And I know that you have this experience too, like using my life, um, as a story of disability and speaking loudly as a disabled woman and as a queer woman feels important to me. Uh, but writing about your life is so scary and hard. And now that I've done it once, I need, I needed a long break. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't blame you. It's, and I kind of want to lead into quickly about the work because we both work as educators in sex and disability and, and, you know, doing that and you say you, you, you run workshops. So going up there on stage and I do it too and talking about yourself, isn't it? Aren't you terrified every single time you do it? Like, it gets easier, but I'll tell you from my experience, I'm still like, oh my God, what am I going to reveal today? What story am I going to tell? What's going to come out by accident? Oh no. Yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. I public speak so often. Like, I think I'm doing two this week. Because of my work as so much a sex educator, I'm always going to groups and talking about things that are nerve wracking. And most often I'm not talking about myself. Like most often I'm being like, this is what consent looks like, you know? Um, And that's way less scary. Definitely when I'm using my own body and lived experience as a teaching tool, it's way harder. And also not only scary, but like, whoa, emotionally tiring. You come off stage feeling like full of adrenaline, but also totally exhausted because you've just bared yourself to strangers. And all you can do is hope that they've seen you for all that you are. And hope that, you know, I did a talk recently at a, University of Toronto, Mississauga, and they were great, and they were so gracious, but I remember asking them a bunch of questions in the the talk, like in the middle, I would pause and say, okay, this slide's talking about sex and disability, what do you guys think? And they would sit there and stare at me in total silence. Oh, and, that's the worst. And not answer me, not because they didn't have questions, but because they didn't want to offend me. So at the end of the, at the, end of the lecture, I said, okay, listen, I'm going to pass around paper and write down your questions. I swear I got reams of paper back with questions. And I was like, why is it so different if I'm asking you? Cause, and I, it made me think about, like, is there a fear of telling disabled people to their face how you really feel? Yeah. I mean, I think that there is. I think that's a tough one. I, and I think that's also maybe why I haven't written for a while. I used to feel much more comfortable being like, it's okay. Like, don't be afraid of me. Ask me your question and I can inform you about my life. And more and more, I, I, 
I totally understand that people are ignorant for various reasons and we don't have a lot of exposure to disability and it's not necessarily somebody's fault if they don't know something. And, you know, I'm not going to blame somebody if they don't have the answer, but sometimes I don't want to give the answer. Like sometimes I am too tired and I just feel like Google it. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, it's hard. I think that there is a fear of offending um, and I don't want to like, entice that fear like I'm not saying be afraid um but I think you know I think it is wise for us to think first before we just boldly ask people about how they are and who they are like I don't know do you ever I get the experience a lot when I'm and maybe it's different because you're in a chair and and as somebody who uses a cane people maybe don't see me as disabled as easily but so often people say like what's wrong with you missy you know or like what did you do to yourself uh, it's a end, question I get asked all the time. Do they end the sentence with Missy? Because that's hilarious. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, like it's a like I feel like people are like, "Oh, look at this sweet girl. What's wrong with her?" And they think it's okay to ask, you know. Um, and it it makes me a little bit tired. Uh, yeah, and I don't always want to answer, especially when I'm not working. You know, I'm I'm just walking to, on my lunch break. It's not my job to answer your questions about my body. Yeah, you're just doing your thing. I mean. I try to look at it as an opportunity, but I agree. There are some moments where you're like, I just don't, just please don't. The other day I was on the street, it's so funny. The other day I was on the street going to get headphones for my, for my job because I was supposed to interview somebody and then they broke and I ran them over the joys of being disabled and trying to run. Oh no. Yeah. I ran over like my prized headphones that I used for something. They were totally busted. So I was like, okay, I have to go to the store and get some. And I'm crossing the street to go to the, to the electronic shop. And this person goes, okay, are you crossing? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, the cars are going to come now. Be careful. And I was like, I'm good. Like, I'm okay. And just the way he was talking to me, I was just so annoyed that I just sped ahead. I was like, I don't want to speak to you. We're good. Yeah. And it's hard because sometimes it comes from a genuine place of wanting to be helpful, you know? Like, people are like, oh, this is harder for you than it is for me. I'll help you out. And I, and I totally understand that people just want to be kind, but sometimes that kindness comes from a place of being patronizing, you know? And they don't even, it's just, it's so, and I mean, I think to lead into my next question, that kind of stuff happens just in the bedroom all the time. That Mm. kind of like weird patronizing thing where people don't realize what they're doing is so much more painful when you're naked, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff when you're naked with somebody and you're in the middle of something or you're about to be in the middle of something and they do that stuff to you, maybe it doesn't happen to you so much because you may not look as disabled as I do when I don't have clothes on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I know for myself, when I'm lying in bed with somebody and they start patronizing me, I'm like, well, now I can't sleep with you now. Like, totally. My drive to have sex with you is just completely diminished. <laughs> yeah, my desire is completely finished and we're finished now. Um, one of the stories that I love in your book that and I think you know the one I'm going to go for, is the one where you just, you were, I think, 19? And you just you met that, that gentleman. And, and I, I wa- peed on him? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Do you think you could um, elaborate on that story for us? Because it's my favorite story in the whole book. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a story very much so where I'm just trying to pass as non-disabled. So rather than be honest about being like, I need to go to the bathroom, I just tried to not have to go to the bathroom. Um, Part of being disabled for me is going to the bathroom a lot. I have a pretty small bladder and I can't totally control it. And I 
and I go to the bathroom very frequently. Um, but when you're 19 and dating somebody, going on a date with somebody you don't know and who's older and cooler than you, that's the most embarrassing thing ever. Um, older and, so, and cooler is so hard when you don't feel like you're cool. I know. I mean, when you're 19, you're pretty sure you're not cool anyway. Uh, now I see that I was definitely cooler than that other person. Um, although I think he was probably a nice guy. I mean, I hardly know him, but the, the point is that I eventually just like lost control of my bladder while we were mid sexy time, um, and like fled the house and denied my life for a long time or denied ever speaking to that person again. And, uh, it was embarrassing. Yeah, it was totally embarrassing and definitely, um, Definitely taught me a lesson about being like, Jesus, Kaylee, just admit that like your body is not the same as everybody else's and it will make your life better in the long run. And it's okay. And uh, that's hard. And just to, just so that you're not the only one telling an embarrassing bathroom sex story. Yeah, tell one. I'm going to tell one. So when I was 19, I moved from Toronto, from North York, Ontario, Canada to Ottawa, Canada, my university town. And mm-hmm. I was looking for dudes to lay one night as you do (laughs) and so I met this couple online who was like you're really cute we want to take you back to your house a couple yeah they were like this cute older couple and they were they must I swear they were probably and to say older now sounds weird because I'm literally their age now but they were (laughs) they were like 35 to 40 and I was 19 you know so I we talked for a bit and I explained to them my reality and what I needed and all these things and so I they they picked me up in a in an unmarked white van. Now this is not this was not the smartest thing I'd ever done. <laughs> they picked me up in an unmarked white van and drove me. They lived in a suburb of, of Ottawa, so it was like out of town. Okay. Um, and <laughs> they brought me back to their place. We had the sexy time, and I guess during the sexy time, my me not realizing my bowels decided to release. Oh no. And, I couldn't, I didn't feel it during the sex, because I guess, I guess with all the contractions and the excitement, my body just went, all right, well, this is happening. So totally, it just, I, they released. And so we were done. I hadn't seen anything yet. I didn't realize that there was a problem. And so they lift, they, get, they had to lift me off the bed to get me back on my chair. There was a giant shit stain there and I didn't know what to do. Oh, no, my friend. Oh, I have so much empathy for you. Like, this exact thing hasn't happened to me, but I totally understand. So when I'm reading your story about, you know, peeing on the guy, I'm laughing with you in solidarity because I'm like, I've been there. I know (laughs) the pain you feel so much. Did the three of you ever address it? I No, I looked on and it was so, it gets worse. Not too much worse, but a little bit worse. So their bed sheets they were telling me were like eight hundred thread count. No, like, yeah, really, really, like fancy bed sheets. And I saw the shit stain, and I didn't say anything when I when they put me in my chair because I was like, I gotta get out of there really fast. They didn't ever speak to me again. Actually, no, that's not true. There's more. There's more to the story now that I think about it. They, I messaged them to apologize, and they were like, yeah. You had, you had some issues and an odor there, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just felt so ashamed because I was like, I don't know, like, what I'm supposed to do. And so that memory of that is kind of like 
embedded in my brain because every time I consider anal sex or every time I consider wanting to explore that and I haven't done and the first reason why not is because like oh my god what if what if what if there's shit there so like I feel the pain when you're young and just trying to be sexy and these body things happen to you Um, yeah and it just is so so embarrassing and there's no there's no you can't ever come back from that like you could try really hard well I think that the thing is and like this I'm so glad you told me this story because it reminded me why I chose to tell that story in my book the way that you can come back from moments like that where you're like I literally want to stop existing this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me is then owning that story and making it yours and being like yeah this thing happened because my body did this thing and like I'm still a totally valuable and incredible and sexy human being yeah 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 and And that's how I feel about you so thanks for telling that story (laughs) and reminding me that regardless you're a mega babe that's how I feel about you mega babe (laughs) (laughs) Keely and I met on a panel four or five years ago now it's been a while it's been a while probably five yeah it's been we met in a panel back in ottawa actually we did a, a panel on i think sex and disability or i think it was sex and disability panel yeah and ever since i've just we've been like I, we've been you know author buddies like yeah i did this thing and we're gonna be the, and so i am excited about what's happening by the time this podcast airs the thing will be done i think but oh. uh, but we're gonna be at a panel soon together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to talk about it because it'll be it'll be done. But um, do you th- so do you, do you think that eventually more writing like the fucking facts or the blog of Kaylee Tracy's might pop up? Because I feel like and why I bring it up again is because you need to be in the pop culture pantheon, friend. You need to be there. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to be in the pop culture pantheon. And that's certainly what I was going for when I was like, yeah, I'll write a book and expose my sex life. No problem. No worries. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with my future and my life. But I, I know that what I believe is that like more disabled voices in the pop culture pantheon is is what's going to make our lives better. Um, I mean, among many things, like accessibility measures would make my life a lot better too. So much um, better. But I think that like these things go hand in hand sometimes. And so the louder our voices, the more powerful change can be affected. And I am so excited about the disability activists who are doing work out there right now, like yourself and Carrie Wade, if folks haven't read Carrie Wade, uh, her work is on autostraddle and it's so good. Um, and Eli Clare, who wrote Exile and Pride, and Eddie, Eddie Nadupo, who, um, who we were on the panel with, yeah, actually. He's doing, or they, I'm not sure what their pronoun is. Also I think they is maybe yeah. their pronoun. They are doing amazing work to get, um, to get people with disabilities more recognition in Africa. And, and I think also he doing stuff in the States, amazing stuff in the U.S. I think that currently Eddie is an Oxford scholar, like super successful disabled person. Like just, yeah, that's right. Oxford. Amazing. Oxford. uh, Like the UK. Way to, way to be a big time. So awesome. So awesome. 
Um, and also just another mention of disabi- disability activists that folks should check out. Lyric Seal, who makes porn on crash pads, super good. And Laurie Erickson, who's in Toronto and does work around sex and disability stuff too. So if folks are like, I want more disabled voices, those are just a few people to Google. Um, and all of them produce incredible work. I'm pretty sure I'm talking to Carrie Wade soon. She will die to know that there's a mutual crush up. Like, Oh yeah, we're. I feel like we just need to make it our connection happen across geographical places, and we'll certainly be friends. Certainly, certainly, um, we'll be friends. I mean, I hope I'm not putting too much pressure on on Carrie, but we'll see. How could you not be friends with you? <laughs> um, this has been a great interview. I don't really have much more to say. I urge everybody to go on Amazon.com and and purchase Carrie's book. I'm not sure where else it's. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. If you also Google Invisible Publishing, which is the small publishing press that put out my book, uh, you can buy an ebook online if that's more accessible for you. Um, and they can they also have a directory showing you what small local independent bookstores carry my book. So if you'd rather support local, um, a full listing of where to get the book locally is on invisiblepublishing.com. Is Kaylee Trace going to do an audiobook? Oh man, I would love to do an audiobook. I have said this before, and I think it's the truth. I am much more of a talker than a writer. Like, I could do a lecture every day and be a happy person, and I find writing a little bit torturous. So, if I could just do a book where I just talk forever, I'd be a pretty happy person. So, if the people at audible.com are listening, Kaylee Chase wants to talk her book to you. <laughs> yeah, get in touch, audible.com. Please. Um, yeah. Kaylee, it's such a pleasure talking to you. And I, the last question that I've been asking with this new podcast, what I just started recently um, asking people is, how do you want to shine a bright light on sex and disability? Ooh, that's a hard and good question. I think I began my work wanting to shine a light on sex and disability by being really loud and taking up a lot of space. Um, and doing things like writing a book and writing a blog and being really raunchy and hilarious. Um, and I still think that work is important. Uh, but these days I want to work more on an individual level and like meet folks and ask them what they need. And like, um, yeah, I think I, right now I'm in like a quieter mode. And so I, I want to make a change on an individual basis by working in, in my community uh, with folks that I know and and collectively working together. Yeah, and I think the quiet voices, and I agree with you. I think I, I like I I'm a fame whore. I'll, I'll admit every, anybody listening to this knows I'm a fame whore. Um, but I also like when I get feedback from people who are just like, "Hey, I listened to your thing and it really changed my viewpoint," or "Hey, I went to your presentation and it made me think and I want to talk to you about it. Can we have a coffee about this?" Or "Hey, thanks for writing that blog because now I am thinking about something differently." And it doesn't make me feel like, wow, I changed the world. It's like I changed that one person's day and I did my job. Yeah, totally. Totally. You did your job. And I mean, that's that's a sexy thing, too, to know that we have, we as disabled people, as authors, as disabled authors, have created, have had to create work for ourselves. And to see the impact of that, when I look at the stuff I've done and I see people saying to me, like, what? I've been changed by what you wrote. Like even with what you wrote, I love your book and I read it all the time. Every single time I read it, I go, "Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, I, I, I can use that for my thing, or oh, I can, I can talk about this." And she really talked about that. So I think that we, the fact that it's out there and we can change someone's day, 
doesn't mean we have to change the world. I think with disability activism, that's what I think we have to remember is that it doesn't mean tomorrow we're not gonna have we're not gonna have accessibility measures fixed tomorrow. But by doing lectures and going out and talking about it to one group of people, we might slowly change things. Totally, I agree. That's what I hope. Such a an awesome pleasure to talk to you. You're you're one of my favorite people to interview. Very briefly, how do people get a hold of you? Oh yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Kaylee Trace. Um, that's K A L E I G H Trace. Um, my website is also kayleetrace.com. Um, and you can email me at kaylee.trace at gmail.com. Uh, Kaylee Trace, Google. I'm very Googleable. Google is a great word to say over and over, by the way. I think I said it 700 times in this interview, and I still like saying it. You did. It's kind of awesome. Kaylee, such a pleasure to talk to you. You're one of my favorites, and we will talk again. And I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thanks, Andrew. I can't wait to see you in Toronto, and uh, always a pleasure to be on your show. Always, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I loved having an interview with Kaylee Trace over Skype from her home in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. The great thing about doing this work when you do it with your friends is that you can bring a lightness to serious issues about accessibility, disability, and sexuality. And with Kaylee Trace, that's how I always feel. She always talks about serious stuff and is very, very passionate about the work she does. But she brings such a likability and a, a, a warmth to the topic that you get immersed within it with her. And it's just such a great feeling to have conversations with somebody who understands the realities and can make it that accessible to an audience or to somebody like that. And I hope when you were listening to her speak, you felt that way, because I did the whole way through. I felt like we were just having a chat about really important stuff in a fun way, and she's she's a master at doing that, and I admire that about her. Kaylee, throughout the episode, you may have heard her mention some people with disabilities who were doing sexuality and disability work. I want to say again, Kaylee Trace is one of the top-notch sex educators around disability. You should all read her stuff, follow her on the Twitter. She's somebody who will definitely change the way you look at queerness, sexuality, disability, feminist, all the things she studies, everything that she does, she brings her voice to it in such a sweet, honest, real way. And I, I appreciate that so, so much. And I appreciate that you guys took the time out of your day to listen to our interview. Just before we close today, I want to do a shameless plug. I want to let you know about my Patreon page for the podcast. I produce Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, completely independently. I do so here in my home studio in Toronto with one earbud mic and my laptop and some Audacity software that I use. That's about it. That's literally the extent of my production value. Um, I edit everything myself, which is not very a lot of editing, but I do edit it a little bit. I work really hard on it, producing episodes, getting guests, finding guests, coming up with new topics. I spend hours doing episodes and putting them together so they sound really nice, and I really am learning hard on how to make it sound even better. And I want to work on getting some new equipment, and I want to work on making the podcast monetized so that I can continue the conversation around sex and disability. This is not for me to get rich. This is not for me asking for money to become a star. This is finding ways to continue this conversation. So if you like the work that I do, and if you like what you hear on this podcast, please head over to my website, 
andrewgerza.com, head over to the Disability After Dark page, and underneath every podcast, you can see the Join Me on Patreon button. Please click that button if you're able to donate. Whatever money you can spend a month to help make this podcast grow would be greatly appreciated from 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 2 bucks, whatever you can do would really help me out and make the conversation around sex and disability shine even brighter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright Notice The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability.